Chapter Three of the Crimson Cryptogram by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Three: An Open Verdict. Next day, the body of the unfortunate man was removed to the Dukesfield morgue, and twenty-four hours later, the coroner held an inquiry in the coffee room of the Lancaster Hotel public interest was greatly roused over the matter and the ubiquitous reporters of the great dailies amongst them harry cass attended notebook in hand to supply their readers with sensational details a rumour first set afloat by the babbling tongue of mrs basket was prevalent that mrs moxton had killed her husband with a carving knife it was known from the same source that she had lived a lonely life since taking up her abode in myrtle villa that moxton had neglected her shamefully that he had left her nightly by herself and had even denied her the comfort and company of a servant hence it was openly declared that cruel treatment and contemptuous desertion had driven mrs moxton to commit the crime but this theory found no favour in the sight of dr ellis and he avowed himself the champion of the pretty widow if she were guilty she would not have announced the crime as she did he argued with cass it would have been easy for her to let the corpse lie on the path all night and pretend ignorance when it was discovered by the milkman also if she struck the blow she had a whole night at her disposal to vanish into the unknown flight would have proved her guilt bob besides she would have been tracked down on that tacit confession of her crime i don't agree with you nothing is known of the moxtons as they kept very much to themselves hardly any one saw her or knew her by sight she could have disappeared like a drop of water into the ocean of london without leaving a trace for the most cunning detective to follow instead of doing this her wisest plan if she killed her husband she stays and faces the matter out in all innocence cass produced a newspaper from his pocket i can suggest a theory for her remaining here he pointed to a paragraph in the death column three days ago edgar allan moxton the great picture dealer of bond street died leaving a large fortune behind him now this dead man as i judge from the similarity of christian and surname is probably the son of moxton if so he had he lived would no doubt inherit the money as he is dead mrs moxton the widow may do so a fortune is worth running some risk for bob but the faith of ellis was not to be shaken the similarity of names may be a mere coincidence such as occurs more frequently in real life than in fiction also even if you can prove the relationship it does not show that mrs moxton is waiting for the fortune or that she is even aware of the death give her the benefit of the doubt harry i gave her much more than the jury will do ellis public opinion is against her bah what do the tinker and tailor and candlestick maker know of the matter they may not know much now but they will soon be primed with sufficient evidence to give a verdict the jury is chosen from the class you mention so contemptuously dr ellis knew this very well and knew moreover that rumour spoke ill of the widow therefore it was with some doubt whether she would have a fair hearing that he attended the inquest by the time he arrived the hotel was so crowded that the people overflowed into the road the young man pushed his way into the public room and found that the proceedings had already commenced 
he glanced round for mrs moxton and saw her seated near the coroner clothed in black closely veiled and listening attentively to drake's evidence the inspector's testimony was brief and meagre for the police had as yet discovered nothing he described the finding of the body the futile search for the weapon with which the murder had been committed and the failure of his attempt to learn where the deceased had so regularly spent his nights nevertheless the identity of the dead man had been established for he was the son of a bond street picture dealer edgar allan moxton strange to say father and son had died within a few hours of one another the former in the morning from natural causes the latter shortly before midnight by violence finally drake stated that hitherto the police had found no clue likely to lead to the identification and capture of the murderer which shows that the police don't suspect mrs moxton murmured ellis to cass the doctor himself was the next witness and deposed as to his summons by mrs moxton and his examination of the corpse deceased had died from the stab of a broad-bladed knife which had pierced the left lung the blow must have been struck by a strong arm he averred since the blade had penetrated through an overcoat inside coat waistcoat and shirt could a woman have struck such a blow asked one of the jury an exceptionally strong woman might have done so responded ellis all eyes were turned on the trim slight figure of mrs moxton and there was a general feeling that the doctor's answer exonerated her from having personally committed the murder she was of too frail and delicate a physique to have struck home the knife with so sure and deadly an aim yet she might have put the weapon into another's hand for it seemed incredible that she would be ignorant of the tragedy which took place within a few yards of her when mrs moxton's name was called out and she stood up to give evidence those present drew a long breath and waited eagerly for her to speak hitherto public curiosity had been languid now the appearance of the principal witness stimulated it to fever heat from the dead man's widow if from any one the truth of this savage tragedy should come mrs moxton threw back her veil when she took the oath and revealed a pretty face somewhat marred by sleeplessness and weeping she was colourless red-eyed and low-voiced but gathering courage as she proceeded told her tale with great simplicity and apparent truth the evidence she gave may be condensed as follows my name is laura moxton i married my husband edgar twelve months ago he was the son of mr moxton of bond street and the heir to great wealth when he met me i was earning my living by typewriting and although i refused twice to marry him he insisted that i should do so at last i yielded and became his wife whereupon his father cut him off with a shilling edgar had some money inherited from his mother and with this we went to monte carlo where he tried to increase his fortune by gambling however he was unlucky and we returned to london in eight months poorer than when we left for the sake of economy my husband took myrtle villa as he obtained it at a low rental on account of the unfinished state of the road for the same reason we dispensed with a servant and hired the furniture i did all the housework and for the want of money rarely went outside the house my husband was unkind and neglectful and accused me of being the cause of the quarrel with his father which had cost him his inheritance it is now three months since we took myrtle villa my husband for the first week remained indoors at night afterwards he went out regularly 
i did not know what he did with himself or where he went as he always refused to tell me and his temper became so morose that i was afraid to insist upon his confidence he always dressed himself carefully in evening dress and usually wore a light overcoat as a rule he returned shortly after midnight sometimes i waited up for him at other times i went to bed i was often afraid during the long evenings in the house as it was so lonely and so near the wastelands where the brickworks stand on the night of the murder my husband went out as usual it was august sixteenth i waited for his return and shut myself up in the bedroom at the back of the house about eleven i grew tired of waiting and prepared to go to bed i know it was eleven as i wound up my watch at that hour i was brushing my hair when i thought i heard a cry but as the wind was blowing strongly i fancied i was mistaken still the belief was so strong that after doing my hair i took the candle and went to the door the light showed me someone lying on the path halfway to the gate i also heard a moan at once i ran down shading the candle light in the hollow of my hand for the moment there was a lull in the wind and the light burnt long enough to show me that my husband was lying wounded on the path then the wind extinguished the light i took my husband in my arms he moaned feebly but could not speak then he gave a gasp and died i was dreadfully afraid and without waiting to get my hat or cloak i ran for dr ellis i saw no one i heard no one and i do not know who killed my husband in what position was he lying when you came upon him on his back as the light of my candle fell for a moment on his face i recognized him at once how did you know he was wounded seeing that the wound was in his back i saw blood on his shirt front and coat also his face was so white and he moaned so much that i guessed he was hurt when i took him in my arms i felt on my fingers the blood flowing from his back had your husband enemies i do not know he introduced me to no one he knew i lived a lonely life all the time i was at myrtle villa i saw no one but my husband did you know any of his friends abroad no he introduced me to no one did he ever speak of any one as having a grudge against him no he spoke of himself and his father but of no one else did he know that his father was dead when he left the house on august sixteenth not to my knowledge he said nothing to me until i heard dr drake's evidence i did not know myself that mr moxton senior was dead did your husband receive any letter on the day of his death no he never received letters nor did he take in a newspaper we lived quite isolated from the world i did not like my position but i feared to complain on account of my husband's temper was your husband's temper such as would provoke enmity i think so he had a very bad temper did he drink much yes he drank a great deal of brandy and was very morose when intoxicated when i saw him like that i used to shut myself in the back bedroom did your husband treat you cruelly he neglected me and spoke harshly to me but he never struck me what were your feelings towards him i loved him when we married for then he was kind and good afterwards i had no feeling towards him save one of terror on one occasion it is reported that you came to meet a telegraph boy with a carving-knife is that true 
perfectly true but i did not know who was at the door it was growing dark and the house was very lonely i took the knife in case it might be a tramp do you usually carry the knife to protect yourself oh no on that occasion i was in the kitchen and snatched it from the table when the knock came to the door you never went to the door with it on any other occasion certainly not no one else ever came after dark the tradespeople called always in the daytime then i was not afraid for whom was the telegram for my husband i did not open it but left it on the table in the dining-room he got it when he came home that night did he tell you what it was about no he never mentioned the subject do you know anything about the marks and blood on the arm no i was shown them by dr ellis but i do not know what they mean or indeed what they are do they not look to you like secret writing like a cryptogram i don't know anything about secret writing they look like blood smears to me i do not understand them have you any idea why deceased wrote them on his arm not the least in the world did you ever see your husband use a cipher of that kind never i never saw him use a cipher of any sort did you ever notice marks like them before no i know nothing about them can you throw any light at all on this murder none whatever i was amazed to find my husband dying you said no word no name he did nothing but moan and died in a few moments the examination which lasted some considerable time concluded all available evidence for the time being on the meagre intelligence to be gleaned from it the jury framed their verdict and stated that the deceased edgar moxton had been murdered by some person or persons unknown End of chapter 3 Read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California